Welcome to Title T, where we bring you all the tea on tough title transactions. We'll touch on real-life title issues and how to ensure a painless real estate transaction. We're just two Texas escrow officers who want to share our experiences. We learn the hard way so you don't have to. My name is Nikki, and I'm here with Libby. So Libby, what you got? Welcome back to this week's episode. We are, it looks like, on episode five, which is kind of cool because I feel like we just started this yesterday. So this week, we're going to talk about some missing heirs. Nikki's going to pretty much take the lead on this one, so I'll just give it over to her. Okay, so we're going to be talking about what happens when someone is selling a property that is part of an estate. So someone has passed away and they've either left a will or not left a will, but then the property is being sold out of that estate. In previous episodes, we touched on the specifics of how a will is probated and the process it goes through. Here, we're going to touch on what happens after the will is probated and who is needed to participate in a real estate transaction if you are selling one of those properties. A lot of times, once we have the will reviewed by our underwriter, they will require the full proceeds to be sent to the executor of the will for them to distribute as the will dictates. And in these cases, only the executor is needed to sign in the transaction. However, sometimes we will need to involve the heirs themselves. This is usually dependent on how the will was drafted and on the direct instructions left by the deceased. The underwriter will typically make this determination for us. And in these cases, we may require all of the heirs to sign in the transaction and potentially receive funds through the transaction as well. This can lead to some issues depending on the heirs. We've had some situations where the heirs were incarcerated, out of the country, maybe they're minors, or maybe the people are just missing entirely. So I'm going to go through each of these scenarios and give you some examples of how we can potentially resolve these. So example number one, if an heir is incarcerated, we have two hurdles there. The first is the signing. Sometimes there will already be a power of attorney established that can act on behalf of somebody who is currently in prison or in jail. Or alternatively, a lot of these facilities will have a notary on staff that can assist with the signing. When it comes to the proceeds, it gets a little bit more complicated. When incarcerated, the person may not be able to receive income. So then a trust account would need to be established, if not already in place, for the funds to be deposited into. In some cases, the funds in that trust account can be used to pay for any restitution or child support that that person may owe. So then let's talk about what happens if an heir is a minor. So a minor individual can't sign on behalf of a legal transaction. Right, you have to be 18 in order to be able to do this. So it may fall to their guardian to act on their behalf. And then when it comes to the proceeds, that same logic applies. So the funds could potentially be sent to the guardian, or if the will dictates, a trust can be established on behalf of the children for the funds to be deposited into. It can also dictate what the funds are to be used for on behalf of the children. So it could say that the funds are to be used for college or medical bills or anything that they direct it to. And then in that same vein, if you have somebody that is special needs or not of sound mind, then it also may be required here as well that the funds are sent to a trust account or potentially a guardian or conservator if it has been assigned by the courts that way. 
So let's talk about what happens if an heir is out of the country or even out of the state. Up until about five years ago, if somebody was out of the country and they needed to sign with an American notary, they would have had to have scheduled an appointment with the American embassy in order to sign those documents with a notary. That appointment can take a couple of months to get set up. They would then have to travel to the actual embassy to complete the closing. Now, however, we have what is called remote online notary, and this allows somebody to sign a document online with a notary no matter where they are in the world. The only thing that they need to complete this is they will need a computer or a mobile device that has a working microphone and a working camera. They do also have to have lived in the United States recently as it does do an identity verification process and it uses the DMV credit questions. So the same questions that you get when you apply for a credit card online, uh, it asks you, did you ever own one of these cars? Did you ever live at one of these addresses? Things of that nature. So in order to establish those questions, then you had to have had an American address at some period for them to fall back on. But this is a great tool to use in any closing, really, um, we can use it for all of our sellers, whether they're just down the road and stuck at the office, or if they're in England and can't catch a flight home. Uh, this is a great tool to be used. It also serves a purpose if somebody is needing to sign a power of attorney. Um, so if you have a buyer that may be out of the country and their lender doesn't let them sign with a remote online notary, as lenders typically don't allow buyer stocks to be signed that way, you may be in a situation where the buyer could sign a power of attorney online and then have that power of attorney be in the states and able to sign on their behalf. So it has some different uses that we can utilize it for. It's a really cool program though. We really like it. And then lastly, let's talk about what happens if an heir is just straight up missing, right? There can be different situations in which this could happen. Maybe they just don't have any contact with the family or there could be additional extenuating circumstances that cause this. And I'm gonna give you an experience that I had that led me to going down this road a little bit. We were working on an affidavit of heirship where the person had passed away without a will. So we were relying on this affidavit to determine who had inherited the property. In this case, the person who had passed away had had a child at some point in their life and they had put that child up for adoption and then they'd severed all of their parental rights to that child. However, interestingly enough, if the property doesn't go through probate court and instead follows intestacy in the state of Texas, so essentially the state is dictating who inherits the property when a will isn't present, that child can still inherit a portion of their estate. So this can obviously lead to some surprise and maybe contention with any other existing children, but that is the current reality of how intestacy works. And you can see how this could pose a problem in that if the child was adopted, it's possible that there's no contact with the biological family. However, in our case, we did luck out in that the child that had been adopted was currently an adult and did have contact with the family. So we were able to track them down and have them be a part of our transaction. However, in the case that you couldn't track them down, it is a situation that could potentially end up in the probate court, even if a will doesn't exist. 
it's possible that a judge could appoint a conservatorship or a third party entity or individual that represents the interests of that person who is missing. And then the executor or the heirs of the estate would have to show sufficient proof to the court that they've done their due diligence in attempting to track down that missing person. Like they have to put their names on a milk carton kind of kind of thing. It goes back to like those kind of times where you have to do every kind of thing you can think of to try to get in contact with the person. Yeah, in some cases it may require them to take out, say, like a newspaper ad or something along those lines for a certain amount of time to show that they've put public notices out for that person to be found. That's what it was. If the court is satisfied that all resources have been exhausted in locating the individual, it could be that a portion of the estate is held in an account overseen by the conservator in perpetuity until the person is located. This can be a long drawn out procedure and it can definitely hold up the sale of an asset until the court has made their decision. And this situation can relate to any missing heir, not just adopted children, as that was just really an example. So what's the best way that we could potentially get in front of these situations? So yes, the best way is to get us involved in the process as early as possible. I feel like you hear us say that quite a bit, but it genuinely is the truth. The earlier we get involved, the earlier we know what's going on with a file, the easier it'll be for everybody throughout the entire transaction. So the sooner that we can identify any potential speed bumps, the more prepared the client will be in how to proceed forward. All right. Well, that wraps up our season on death and title. Be sure to check us out next month. We're going to be talking about family transactions since it is the season for families. And we hope that you will join us. <laughs> we'll see you guys next time.